You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. This is really part three of Jesus's triumphal entry and the conversation and the teaching that's been uh, had as he's interacting with the religious leaders and the, the chief priests and such and the crowds of people who are in attendance as he's chatting, declaring uh, who his father is and what the kingdom of heaven is, is like. And, and last week we looked and saw how the leaders are challenging Jesus's authority They didn't want to affirm who he was because if they affirmed John the Baptist, they surely would have to affirm Christ. And so today we're going to continue on. And as Jesus uh, tells a very practical story, a parable that relates to their uh, spot in life and how they're interacting with the Son of God, God, it's called the parable of the vineyard owner. Are you familiar with this one? The parable of the vineyard owner. In Luke chapter 20, verse 9, Jesus goes on to say this. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to a tenant of farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the farmers so they might give him some fruit from the vineyard. But the farmers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet another servant but they beat that one too. They treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, but they wounded this one too and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what should I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the ten of farmers saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. But when they heard this, they said, That must never happen. But he looked at them and said, Then what is the meaning of this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but the one, whomever it falls, it will shatter him. Then the scribes and chief priests looked for a way to get their hands on him that very hour, because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. And so they watched closely and sent spies who pretended to be righteous so that they could catch him in what he said to hand him over to the governor's rule and authority. Have you ever told a lie long enough that it became the truth? Have you ever done that? If we're really honest with ourselves, we've all done it. Way to go, buddy. 
I've, I'm sure. I've, I've said things and it began, you know, little white itty bitty little lie and then it grew and then eventually just you forgot where, you know, the lie ended and the truth began. You can kind of see that in this story is this interaction with the, the Pharisees, the leaders who Jesus is referring to as the tenants, the custodians of God's vineyard. They're entrusted to act in such a way and they're, they're lying to themselves. They, they believe that they've been conducting themselves appropriately and who does this guy think he is, this, this Christ who claims to be the son of God? And they begin to believe this lie that he's not the son of God and they, he should be listening to them. You know, you look at this story, vineyard is quite important to take away here. If you go through, if you were reading any commentaries or such, the scholars would say vineyard is a common reference or representation of Israel. I didn't know that. It's a common representation of Israel. And so the chief leaders, just imagine this, we know they're educated people. They've been trained in the scriptures from a young age. They've been dividing the word of truth. And so they would be aware of this. So right away when he says, a man planted a vineyard, leased it to a tenant of farmers and went away for a long time. Does that sound familiar? God who created the universe, put all things in motion. He's remained imminently involved in his creation and they've been waiting for him to return. So they know these scriptures, they, they know the words, even what's been prophesied. So it's not a stretch that as Jesus is sharing these things, you can imagine their hearts are beating a little harder. They're burning because they're recalling this representation. Perhaps their minds were even drawn to Isaiah 5. As Jesus tells this story, we're told in Isaiah 5.1, it says this, I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it, and even dug out a wine press there. He expected to yield good grapes, but it yielded worthless ones. So now residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why, when I expected to yield good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now I will tell you what I'm about to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds that the rain shall not fall on it. For the vineyard of the Lord's armies is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He expected justice, but saw injustice. He expected righteousness, but heard cries of despair. Were their hearts not burning when Jesus said, a man planted a vineyard? They knew as these custodians, they were to be ones of justice, correctly applying and teaching the truth and living out the truth. But instead, they were living unjust lives, preaching and proclaiming, you must live in such a way, but then turning away themselves and not following suit. And so Jesus, he's, he's calling out these leaders for not bearing the fruit that God imagined. Could you imagine being told, Ron, that you're not producing good grapes? They're sour. You're producing sour grapes. He's calling them out. He's, he's showing them, look, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. 
We see in this parable, he shows how these, these tenants have been soured towards God and all the ones that he sent to them. Even going as far as to killing some. And like a song you turn on the radio about ex-lovers, Jesus is essentially saying to them in a song, in a parable, yes, this song is about you. Could you imagine, just for a moment, if someone wrote a song about you and it was on the radio? There are some that they turn it on, and, you know, Taylor Swift is famous for that, right? She writes these, these uh, catchy jingles, and it's usually about someone she's had a relationship with. Here, Jesus taught him with a relationship, people whose hearts are far from him. And so he's getting to the heart of the matter, if you will. He's saying, it's harvest time, and what have you produced? The son of man, the vineyard owner's son is here. What have you produced? You know, a lot of times you can look at this story and, and maybe people will try to see the vineyard owner as the bad guy. You know, a lot of times in the world we'll see now people are painting God as the bad person. Oh, what a, what a, what a mean God some of you Christians serve. I just can't believe you would serve such a God. Who could, who could possibly have a place where people would be cast into utter darkness, where there'd be weeping and gnashing of teeth? pointing him out to be the bad guy. But here we can see in this parable that these tenants, it's because of their own products, because of their own life that they've lived, what they've been cultivating in their life is sour grapes. I'm trying to think of the reference and watching the news some, some years ago, there was a show I think it was called This is the No Spin Zone. I think it was O'Reilly, now that I think of it. The no spin zone. No matter how you spin this, the tenants were going to be in the wrong. The landlord had all the authority to move and execute as he so willed, to collect what was owed. You know, when you read this passage, is there some scriptures that you think of? Some scriptures that come to mind about the creator of the world, the vineyard. David says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the people and all the inhabitants thereof. And yet in the midst of this, these tenants who Jesus is referencing as these chief leaders and chief priests, they're seeking to flip the script. They're trying to change their roles as if they had the authority to do so. I know the son is here. Let's take him out. Perhaps thinking if we can just remove him, we can have the vineyard for ourselves. Does this sound familiar also? You go right back to the garden. God hasn't held out on Adam and Eve, and yet Lucifer the devil convinces them that somehow God is, hasn't been fully truthful with them, and he is essentially holding out on them. And if you will eat and partake of this fruit, you will be, a, be like God, judging both good and evil. And if you look at this, you try to relate this to your own life as I, have, as I have done in preparing for today, it's very easily how we can go to Scripture and we can look to escape clauses. We can look to permissible concessions in the midst of the landlord's love. How many times you look to the Word and look for those concessions? 
Well, Lord, you know, I, I, I think, I think if, as I read here in this chapter, I, I think I can go ahead and, and do this. And you can fill in the blanks. In many ways, these tenets, they're trying to find loopholes. They're trying to find ways. Did you know that in Jewish law, that if you would resist one who was sent with authority, you could be stoned to death? So when Jesus references saying, look, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, he's saying, watch out, you're, you're in the seat of judgment and you've brought this upon yourself. You've rejected the one with authority who's come with authority of the blessed Lord. Escape clauses. We see here in verses 11 to 12, there's been this repeated willful rebellion. And as you look at this, you could say, well, nothing's new under the sun. This has been common in Israel's history, hasn't it? Time and time again, time and time again, they would collectively come together and rebel against God and his messengers. And now the time has come. Jesus is showing them the sun has arrived and all the signs have happened. People have been healed. Even before this point, a man that had a deformed hand, he just said, stretch out your hand. And his hand was healed in front of their eyes. All these signs signifying that Jesus is the son of God who's come with the authority of the Lord. And yet, when you look at this story, does it not speak to our own lives, this this wonderful gift of free will that we have? Here they have the choice to maybe similar to the prodigal son story. They could, you know, slaughter a fatted calf and welcome the son and hold a big party. The vineyards, you know, the owner, his son is here. Welcome. Come, have the prize seat. See everything that we've cultivated. Instead, no, they want to live for themselves. Many ways we try to push the envelope in our own lives, don't we? This is how I looked at this and became introspective in, in regards to this story. How many times do I try to force the hand of the Lord? How many times? I couldn't help but think of 1 Corinthians 10.10 that shows that like these tenets, we all at one point in time act in a similar fashion. This is common to man. We're told in 1 Corinthians 10.10, and don't grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you will be able to bear it. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Idolatry. Paul understood what it was like for people of his own party to be idolatrous. This temptation that was common to man, we want to set up our own kingdoms, be sovereign over our own lives, but it's amazing that when we yield ourselves to the Lord who created the universe... We see how he's working and desires to, to move mountains for us. 
But as Jesus shares this story, it's serving more and more as a, a mirror of the issue that is in their hearts. And so in verse 17, he shows them what's going to happen if they continue on this path. Could you imagine being there on the scene as Jesus is sharing this parable that is just reaching and tugging on your heartstrings that you know this story is about you? There's been times and places where I've been in assembly and I'd be sitting there and I would come for, you know, truthfully and honestly, affirmation from the Lord on some next steps. And I remember very clearly one night in 2012, I was at a meeting and I'm sitting in the back row, similar to you, Lorraine, and I'm having a tremendous pain in my jaw. And I had this issue called TMJ, this lockjaw issue, to the point where at one point they said they'd have to break my jaw. And, it, and I would get these migraines, and I, sometimes I'd be off from school for about a week. And so I'm at this meeting, and I'm not even thinking about my jaw. I'm actually, at that point, you know, I've given my life to ministry, asking the Lord for some affirmation on a few things. And this man reads my mail. So this is what we call word of knowledge, a specific word relating to a person, place, or thing. And so he calls me out by name, and he calls out the issue that I'm experiencing. Okay, so I came there affirmation for ministry, but he's speaking to my apparent need, and that's this pain, this TMJ. And so I go up to the front, and he lays his hands on me and says, the Lord wants to heal you of the TMJ tonight to affirm to you as a sign your calling of ministry. I had never heard that before. No one had ever spoken to me like that prior. In that moment, for me, as, I, as I'm able to relate it, as crazy as it may sound, someone watching online being like, this sounds crazy, it's like a warm heat, a throbbing sensation. Almost like, you know, when you're close to someone and, you know, you embrace for a long hug and you feel that warmth, almost like you feel their heartbeat, that's what it felt like. And I could feel this, this alignment in my jaw and the pain went away. To the point where I didn't need surgery anymore. Praise God, amen. Who wants to break their jaw and drink food through a straw, right? For whatever amount of time that would be. But here was an affirmation, an affirmation about a path going forward in that, in that scene. And here, Jesus is showing these, these tenets, these leaders, there's two paths that they could take. But if they would continue to reject, they would be, as he says, you will stumble and you will fall and you will be broken to pieces. He's showing them that in their hearts, they're, they're waging which way they're going to go. Essentially, they've, they've been chatting and discussing amongst themselves, but the plan hasn't moved from being theoretical into the time and place. And I'm talking about in, the, in regards to the Son of Man. Here in the parable in the story, he's depicting and saying, this will happen if you continue on this trajectory. And in James 1.13, as I was reading this, this parable, this came to recollection. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Jesus knows very well what's going on in their heart. 
It hadn't yet conceived the point of giving birth to sin. And we've all been there. So they know the law. They understand this power grab could not stand. They know what's been prophesied. And so in many respects, Jesus goes on to share the kind of death that he is going to incur on the sake of his people. We're told in John 6.40, it says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son believes in him and have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so these, these leaders could essentially do one of two things. They could honor God and receive the Son, who is the cornerstone of the, of the new temple, the living God, or they could continue to reject him and therefore stumble and fall. It's very similar today, isn't it? This, this incredible gift we have of free will, the fact that each of, each of us can willingly choose whether we want to be the family of God or not. That's love. And so Jesus goes on to say in another part of John, he says in 521, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the, the Father who sent him. And so we see in this parable, essentially, this is what they do. They haven't welcomed the Son, and they will be complicit in him going to the cross. Now, call me crazy for a moment, but I believe this was an opportunity for repentance. Now, we know the scriptures. It had to occur in order for Christ to go to the cross because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. But did not Jesus say, I came to seek and save the lost? Was this not an opportunity for them to turn to him in repentance, to, to worship him as the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the one who they know the scriptures, if he is the son of God, he's gonna judge the living and the dead? The same authority given to him by, by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is something that I don't recall learning about even in Bible school. We know we hear that Judas made a decision and he betrayed Christ, and we hear about many who, you know, were in opposition to Christ. But could repentance be an opportunity for each one of them? Absolutely. And so for me, as I look at this parable, not, as it, not only is Jesus foretelling what is going to take place and being foretelling with a word of knowledge to these uh, religious people, but he's showing, I believe, the incredible patience and benevolent love of our Heavenly Father. Look at here, we see in, in verse uh, 16, after they say, this can never happen. He says to them that the owner will come and kill those farmers and give the vineyard to others. Notice that that wasn't the owner's first choice. He sent three other representatives first before he sent his own son. If that doesn't show and depict patience, I don't know what does. Incredible patience. And for me, highlights, he doesn't desire for those cultivating the life that he's created for them to enjoy. He has no desire for anyone to face judgment. Not even these folk. Not even these religious leaders whose hearts are so far from him. 
Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, I believe he understood this because he was forgiven himself, wasn't he? Remember when he denied Christ three times? And Jesus restored him, and so he writes in 2 Peter 3.8, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. And you got to love it. If you're in a classroom, in a lecture, if you had a notepad, you'd be writing this down. Don't overlook this fact. And then you'd be ready to write it down. Here it goes. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Not any. Sometimes, along the way, people had thought that, you know, the the Jewish people had their time in history. And now it's the time of the Gentiles. They had their opportunity. They, They resisted the Lord. But just like God told Abraham, it's a credit to them as righteous. By word of faith, they were looking forward to the one who would come and bring their redemption. But it would take time. There would be a delay. And so here, you look at the beginning of the parable of Jesus sharing the story. Again, they're educated men. They understand what he's saying. A man planted a vineyard, leased it to a tenant, and went away for a long time. And so now Jesus is here. Essentially saying, here's the fork in the road. What path are you going to take? And so Peter goes on to say in verse 10, but the day the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. And since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness. Holy conduct and godliness. It's wonderful as we're able to look back now as new covenant people having the the full canon of scripture to be able to look and see the beloved son mentioned here in this parable is Jesus Christ. Perhaps as he read this story, maybe some saw that he was, in fact, the Son of God. Maybe they recalled when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, we're told in Luke 3.21, that as he was praying, after he was baptized, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in a physical appearance like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. Gosh, I wish I could have been there. What an incredible sound. What would this even have really sounded like? You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well Pleased. Perhaps maybe some recall this or maybe word has spread. Whatever it might be, Jesus is here and they have the opportunity to turn to him to see that their forgiveness is at hand. And yet they conspire to kill him. Look what they say. It says that the scribes and the chief priests look for a way to get their hands on him that very hour. Because they knew he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. You know, sometimes when you look at this story, and I'm one of those people, originally I thought this way, man, God, you know, why would you, like the the owner in this story, why would you send your son? This seems kind of reckless. But was it really reckless or resilient? 
This is something I've been wrestling with, reckless or resilient. I don't believe there's anything reckless about God's love and mercy towards us. I don't believe that it's just reactionary, something happens and God just reacts. I believe he responds accordingly with a resilient and patient love. And so for me, you know, we sing that song, your love is reckless. I actually like to change the word from reckless to resilient. Because he's faithful and patient and fulfilling his plan. He's not foolish, he's not naive, but incredibly kind and willing to draw us back, all that was lost. And so before we come to a time of worship, I found this very helpful and appropriate in in seeing all this come together. In Jewish law, if I can understand this correctly, there was a legal cause, similar to today, that without an heir, Or without a legal will, that vineyard would essentially be lost and up for grabs, the first person who would lay lay claim to it. Similar to, I guess you would call squatter's rights. Thank God I don't believe that exists anymore, at least in Ontario. But some scholars hold that this could have very well been what was going through the minds of these tenants in this parable. And we know here that a will doesn't come into effect unless there's a death. And upon that death, the authority of that will is enacted. Could you imagine if it was the opposite? If you had a last will and testament that could be activated and you could access it to it all while the person was still alive? I mean, that'd be pretty cool, but that's just not the way the system works. In the same way, the new covenant wouldn't come into effect until Christ died on that cross, nullifying the old covenant and replacing it with new, what was better and more efficient. And so Jesus' heir Oh, sorry, the father's heir, his son, Jesus, came to enact this new covenant. And you know what? This new covenant, as I've already said, was for these leaders as well. A lot of times we can rub our nose and get it up and be like those dirty leaders. (laughs) But it was for them too. You know what helps me get my heart right in this? It's for Adolf Hitler. It's for Stalin. It's for every person that bullied you to the point of humiliation as you were a child. All the nemesis that you faced in your life. It's for them too. And so we're told, the writer says in Hebrews 9.15, he says, Therefore... He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. And where a will exists, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will is valid only when people die, since it is never in effect while the one who made it is living. That is why even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood. By Christ's death, the stone that the builders rejected, the new covenant was unleashed. 
He says, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. We're waiting for this scene again for the son of man to return in blazing fire and glory and honor with all his holy angels. And he's going to return. But this time, it's not to die and give his life as a ransom for many, but to come and and bring what has been entrusted, that which we hope, the eternal crown of life that the Apostle Paul says, the crown of life. But those who refuse Christ will come under judgment. This at times can be difficult, can't it? How do you share this with someone when you talk about the love of God? And, but again, at the end of the day, he's showing with this free will, this aspect, he's not choosing, desiring to punish people, but he's, he's truthful in his justice and he's gonna carry it out like a good father says he would do. So I wanna invite you to stand if you're able as we come to a, a time of worship. Just being mindful in this season. I know we call it Easter, and thank God we can redeem things, but Easter is a pagan name for Resurrection Sunday. And so as we look to Resurrection Sunday, we can keep in the back of our minds of everything that our Heavenly Father has done for us, sending His own Son into the world to die a death that we deserved. Thank God that we can look to the scripture and we can glean and learn from those who have come before us and how they've interacted with the living God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time and this place. Father, I'm amazed at how you're able to get to the heart of every issue able to to reach in, speak to the real matters and, and needs within our life. And Lord, as we're open to your word, open to the prompting of your Holy Spirit, that you renew us and you speak to us. You encourage us in which way we are to go, to follow after you in all things. I thank you even in all that we do when we misstep in in the shortcomings that because we believe in Jesus that you never give up on us that what you did was taken care of in full thank you for that precious pardon Lord God thank you Jesus thank you Jesus And as the worship team plays, there's a parting words of scripture, 1 Thessalonians 3.11. Now may the God and Father himself and of our Lord Jesus direct you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone just as we do for you. 
May he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. Let's worship him together. Thank you, Jesus.